0: Hello and welcome to Conversations On, where the YMCA of the North engages with local and national leaders about their experiences, their insights, and their aspirations. I'm Roshini Rajkumar. Today, CEO Glenn Gunderson chats with Dr. Courtney Beckler, Medical Director of Health Equity and Health Promotion at Minneapolis Heart Institute Foundation. Find out why she's living the activist life in health and wellness, starting with her roots at the Y as a kid.
1: Well, Courtney Jordan Beckler, it is so great to have you in studio. I've been a long admirer of your leadership. And so thanks for joining you today.
0: Thanks, Glenn. Glad to be here. And definitely the admiration is is, uh, mutual, for sure.
1: That sounds great. So tell me, uh, tell me a little bit of your childhood. Let's start and go way back. Uh, You grew up in Apple Valley, Minnesota. So what was childhood like?
0: I did, but you know I was thinking about this in preparation for this conversation and you know I grew up as a white kid so it's kind of uh, it's really fitting Um, so um, I grew up in an interracial family, my father's African American, my mom is white and my brother and sister and I were all adopted. And my mom uh, had a career at the YMCA, as you know, before just before you started. And I really followed her each summer, um, whatever YMCA she was at for child care. So I started at Hiawatha Y um, and then moved over to the Blaisdale YMCA and really spent um, as a Y summer in the cities kid um, and it was just such a great experience. Um, I think I look back on those times so fondly having grown up in the suburbs just with so much more exposure um, to what, uh, what life is like um, in a variety of settings and places.
1: That's great. I mean, you talk about the why, kind of building strong kids and resilience. Yeah. And so uh, we, we want to take a little credit for all your success in life uh, that Absolutely. the why made a small role. So we've yeah. been in an interesting place um, around race for decades and decades in this community, but in particular in the last couple of years. And so I'm going to get right into this as well. How, yeah. how did race show up for you as a young person and how is yeah. it for you as an adult?
0: Yeah, it's been, I think it's been really interesting for me. Again, growing up um, in an interracial uh, family, um, I'm Persian myself, and um, my brother and sister both have very unique backgrounds, also. And it just was kind of how it always was. Um, And my parents didn't um, spend a lot of time dwelling on the fact that they were one of very few interracial couples in apple valley at the time and um specifically i remember there were so few kids of color um on my brother's football team for instance that everyone always assumed that my dad was their father you know and so it would show up in weird ways that way but they always just skipped through that Um, you know it just it it wasn't ever really focused on that way but. When I was in high school, we started to see it a little bit more. Um, And so this is in the 90s. This is not that long ago. And uh, my dad was looking at jobs in Kentucky at this time, and they didn't allow interracial couples to live in certain areas then. And so at that time, he was commuting back and forth for his job because they really, they couldn't live as the couple that they were in one of the United, uh, one of the states in the U.S. at the time. Um, And so I started to see it that way. Um, He was commissioner of public safety for a while under Governor Carlson. And there were times that we got racial threats. um, And I remember that um, again in, in high school. And it was just, it was such a, interesting and surprise, I guess, because I think so much of that happened but was hidden from me when I was younger. Um, uh, So I started to really kind of awaken up to what, what life really was like at that time. And again, I would contrast that with my experiences um, at the YMCA. Throughout the year, but have more heavily in the summer when I wasn't in school. Where we just all hung out, right? Like we we all enjoyed the same types of things, going on field trips and hanging out. Um, this was pre the renovation of the Blaisdell Y, and just being outside. And um, you know, I learned how to swim there, and you learned how to swim with everybody. You know, it didn't matter what color you were or anything that way. So um, it was it was a pretty interesting. Um, realization, I think. And then I went to school in California and I was shocked uh, at how actually racially segregated California felt compared to Minnesota. Um, I saw for the first time other Persian people, but um, was so excited to, to meet other Persian people and was kind of uh, sort of not um, not met with uh, excitement in that I didn't know more about the Persian culture because I had grown up in such a mixed race family. So it was very interesting. And then um, as a physician now, you know, it shows up all the time um, and has been a big part since medical school when it was my second year of medical school when I first learned about the tremendous, um, horrible racial disparities that we have. Um, that just as a math major really didn't make sense scientifically and started to kind of put this whole puzzle together for me um, based on my background and then also my career interests.
1: Uh, I love, I've followed your career. And of course, you've served the board a couple of times with the Y and currently serve on the Y board. and, And I've been so interested in you, not only from a clinical perspective, but from a social outreach and impact on community more broadly. And and you took on a state role. It's interesting, I didn't know that history about your dad being involved in state government. So is that what led you uh, to a role like that? Uh, Maybe emulating a a, a lesson or a leadership style you saw in the past and share a little bit about your work with the state and your goals around health equity and maybe share where are we um, in this health equity equation right now in our
0: community? Well, we have a long way to go. So I guess just to, to back up. Yeah, definitely. I think for me, I'm always trying to figure out with the tools, um, skill sets, interests that I have, how can I have the biggest impact? Um, uh, and I, during my medical training, my intern year sort of started to recognize the social determinants of health, which we weren't taught a lot about in uh, medical school and realize, you know, the what we do in the clinic and in the hospital is critical, but it's pretty down the line in terms of looking at things more upstream and from a population health. And, you know, ultimately 80% of health outcomes are not determined by what's done in the clinical setting. So it um, spurred my interest in doing more from a public health perspective. Um, And certainly I did Um, I think both of my parents as servant leaders, but specifically my dad um, serving in that role had um, led me to that a little bit, though he definitely gave me a lot of warning of, you know, you're sort of want to get things done fast and things are designed to not move fast in government. And so keep that in mind. so, yeah, so I served as assistant commissioner um, for public health uh, with Commissioner Malcolm in January of 2019 to 2020. Um, and in that role, oversaw health equity for the state. And again, I think it just emphasized that much more these health disparities that we have. Um, and when we think about cardiovascular disease, I'm a cardiologist, uh, it continues to be the leading cause of death um, for every race and sex, but disproportionately so highest for women of color and American Indian women. Um, So as a woman, as somebody who grew up in a diverse family, this is just, you know, there's so much more work that needs to be done there. We have the best outcomes in the entire country for white people as it relates to heart disease. And we have since 1999, but we do not see that same reality for our people of color. So. Um, and really, things have changed very minimal in the last 40 or 50 years where perhaps we've been starting to have at least somewhat more of a lens to this. Um, so it definitely um, has been a huge part of my interest. So for me at, um, at the Department of Health, I think there's such great opportunities still at the state level. But uh, I had a unique opportunity with the Heart Institute and Heart Institute Foundation to really dive specifically into um, my expertise in cardiovascular disease and how we engage differently with communities. So it just was too, um, too great of an opportunity to pass up.
1: Mm. Yeah, I, I certainly appreciate your work at the state and you kind of escaped just before Jan and the team had to really focus yes. deeply on the pandemic, right? And then came yes. back into the Heart Institute and um, yeah. so grateful for your work there as well. And you continue to reach out to community. And as we think about our community here in the Twin Cities, I mean, what an amazing few years we've been, you know, we've been uh, living. And I'm curious your thoughts, you know, as uh, George Floyd was murdered, as the summer of 20 unfolded, um, where was your where were your heart and head at that time and where do you think we are now?
0: Yeah. So it's interesting um my we have uh population health interns from the School of Public Health every year and my intern last year Delaine Thomas who's amazing um walked wow. from our headquarters at 28th in Chicago to where George Floyd was murdered you know and it's it's about 10,000 steps from one of the leading heart hospitals in the state and in the country and the irony of all of that and Um, In just the the whole situation. And so, you know, I'm grateful that we um, had started a partnership prior uh, to the, to George Floyd's murder with Insight News, one of the longstanding black newspapers that Al McFarland started on the north side, Um, his daughter Batala McFarland had reached out at the time when I was at the Department of Health and said, Hey, I think we can kind of look at health differently here. And Let's, let's start doing things differently. Let's start letting the community really lead this, which has been really difficult for healthcare um, when we're so used to being in the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had partnered prior to that, after um, George Floyd's murder, things really got accelerated and uh, it's tragic, horrible, everything that we can possibly think of that it takes the, another murder of a black man to have this happen. But um, we do see, as we come up on the second year anniversary of his murder, um, his legacy. And it really, um, in that regard, opened, I think, uh, eyes wider at our headquarters to the disparities that we see right there. Just as, um, again, we're 10 blocks from his murder, a very diverse neighborhood. um, And the population, and when we look at the patients that we see, 3% 3% of the patients that we see in cardiovascular disease are people of color which mm. does not meet with uh representatively of what we have in the twin cities so we know we have so much work to do with trust with recognizing historical trauma um with reaching out and um being actually active in the community and not just sort of hey we're over here you know and um so we're um over the last two years really doing that differently, partnering with all sorts of organizations, hearing stories um, from community members who have been most impacted by these disparities on what this looks like and having that curve, how we do our research, how we do um, our clinical outreach. And um, so it's, it's uh, exciting times. It's sad that it had to be accelerated by George Floyd's murder.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, it's really exciting times over there at Chicago and Lake and just to the north with um, a really major investment that's going to yeah. go into that uh, area and into the hospital and all yeah. things surrounding it. I imagine that's going to impact the, the Heart Institute. Would you, sure. um, what is driving that percentage you shared earlier? You know, the very low percentage of people of color we're serving in those instances. Is it an access thing? Would you just talk a little further? What do you believe the the elements are um, as to why? And then what are some of the solutions?
0: Yeah, I think it's a, a lot of different factors going into this. Um, when we look at what happened um, in the pandemic and sort of who, again, had access to COVID care and then who... Um, had access and trust in vaccines, I think you see a mirror of what we see in cardiovascular disease. Unfortunately, you know, the Tuskegee trials, which most people know about and have heard about, were not a long time ago. And when we look at data, um, still in the 1990s, uh, at large academic institutions, you still see people of color being used, Inappropriately, inhumanely, in studies in the 90s. So this is this is real. This is recent. I think um, that uh, there, when you look at um, when Medicare first packed passed, only half of people of color were eligible for Medicare. So um, as you and I both know, as people who are probably fairly well insured and have had access, mm. it is complicated to use healthcare. And now you're looking at a condensed time, lack of trust, um, again, like appropriately so. And then unfortunately, when you look at where um, clinics are and where hospitals are, they're not often, now granted Abbott is, you know, but they're not often in places that need them most. And particularly um, preventative care, outpatient settings, things like that. Uh, You know, the north side, has a few amazing clinics like north point clinic um and but you look at edina and look at france avenue and you know at one point in time there were more ct scanners on france avenue than there were in canada was one of the statistics i had heard so Mm. we definitely where resources exist are disproportionate and then unfortunately again when we look at our own minnesota statistics um when we look at um, things that impact health, like poverty, like home ownership, um, those also disproportionately impact our populations of color. Um, so, so many things that ultimately gives you the time, autonomy, access, all the, and trust to seek healthcare um, is really set up um, not in a good way. It wasn't um, designed for people of color. Um, but I would emphasize that uh, the other thing that we know is even when we correct for education and income, there are still disparities. So we act—we absolutely know that structural racism is very much a part of this. Uh, and it has to be part of uh, the way that we dismantle and figure out the solution going forward.
1: Yeah, it's so interesting. And I really appreciate that history lesson too that you share, which is so recent, right? We're mm-hmm. not talking about Hundreds of years ago, or decades and decades, right. but even in the last twenty or thirty years, we've still had these systems and unwinding. That is such a challenging thing across yeah. all of government and across um, healthcare, et cetera. Well, yeah. and our community has really, you know, found its way to resilience. I mean, with with the pandemic, with the racial unrest, and you have been a model for me in so many ways, Courtney. And. One of those has been your resilience coming through tragedy and coming through the loss of your daughter. And yeah. I wonder if you share. You had a powerful reflection um, after, uh, and and you know, kind of this commitment to you are going to thrive, right? And would you yeah. share a bit about how that shaped you and how it's changed you?
0: yeah yes yeah so my daughter sophia passed away in 2015 unexpectedly and um as everyone can imagine your worst fear and all of those things that you know you you sort of have these conversations can you imagine what would you do and i think all of us kind of instinctively say i wouldn't get up the next day um and she passed on a Sunday night, got home super super late. And my son, who was five at the time and was with us when she died, um, woke up the next day at nine just slightly late for school and said, did I miss the bus? And I just remember thinking, oh wait, what? Like doesn't like isn't he putting together what happened and is this, you know, and um I remember right there kind of thinking, okay, like this is this is going to have to be. He deserves a a happy life full of joy, obviously, with sadness that went with the death of his sister. But um, we have to step forward. And there I was in my pajamas, dropping him off at school, running through, you know, uh, whatever fast option there was for breakfast. And um, I remember just thinking it's going to be one step in front of the other. Um, And then really um, being very purposeful in taking care of myself so that I could show up, Um, you know, in every super thankful that at the time I was working um, for the Penny George Institute for Health and Healing, where we really focus on how you bring your best, healthiest, thriving self forward. So I had a lot of those building blocks to think about what I was eating, how I was moving, you know, what um, integrative ways there were to help heal, which definitely was a big part of my journey. But um, for me, that then, you know, translated into what I do with my career, how I spend my time going forward um, to kind of think you never know how long we have um, and to really cherish these moments um, and make it meaningful. So it is um it out it is always a journey i was just talking to a friend um who was going through a hard time and she was saying to her husband i feel like i need a little coordinate." she always sees you know the bright side and i don't know that um that is always true you know there's days where i don't but i um i think that there usually is a rainbow out of after a bad storm and i definitely try to look for those rainbows on a day-to-day basis. And you know, statistically, or from a neurological perspective, we know that if we think about what we are grateful for, um, things look different. We can actually rewire our brain that way. So um, it's a process, and but um, thankful for our friends, family, and lots of uh, putting all that integrative health to practice after um, death of sophia
1: Yeah. Well, amazing resilience and your leadership and your role modeling for us as we all deal with trauma at some point and and such a challenging storm to come through. And I love your rainbow analogy, right, that there is always hope on the other side. I'm curious, um, as you think about this integrative well-being and and this element that that uh, helped you kind of process and move through that storm, yeah. You know, at the why we're really interested in moving from this swim gym perception in the in the community to whole person well being. And the Georges, as you mentioned, the Penny mm-hmm. George Institute um, have been immensely supportive and continue to be in helping us kind of reshape. But would you talk about what what is whole person well being to you? And what how it, we talked about access earlier, and you know, challenging yeah. even to get some of the most basic. Uh, capabilities and services from a health perspective to some in our community, but I'm curious if you, how do you define whole person well-being and yeah. that you see that as an important frontier for the why?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so I really think about whole person well-being as body, mind, and spirit and collectively trying to optimize all of that. So you really are in the best place to thrive. Sometimes that means optimizing all of that with cancer. You know, sometimes there's things that we we can't cure, but we can have a different whole health opportunity for ourselves that feels different than when you're just kind of barely making it. By, I also think um, in medicine, and I can't tell you how many times I say this to patients. You know, people come in with something, heart palpitations, which I've seen more than I ever have during this um, pandemic. Um, and they feel their heart beating irregular. We do all sorts of tests um, to look basically if it's something that's going to kill you. And then we're left with, well, good news, your heart's okay. But the person still feels this symptom of palpitations. And um, for me, that's so much of where whole person health comes in, is your body is sending you a signal that, you don't feel well; that you are not thriving. And Western medicine often doesn't have a solution for that. Or maybe you don't feel like you want to be on a pill, and you don't have to be. Or you know, there's this room for conversation, and that's where um, I think helping your body heal in other ways. Uh, for me, acupuncture has was a big part of mm. processing Sophia's death afterwards. When I felt like I wasn't aligned, body and mind and spirit, but I needed something. Kind of done to me where i was part of it but i was also still passive um, i know you guys are doing group acupuncture and i think that's such a huge opportunity um, for when you're just like not feeling right you're not feeling like you're ready to jump the day um, to kind of i and i there's a lot of science here um, from chinese medicine but to energetically kind of put Um, balance our yin and yang and the hot and cold and a lot of things that I didn't learn in medical school but I know the Chinese medicine experts really appreciate and can help balance that way so but some of it takes experimentation figuring out different dietary triggers, you know, figuring out when you need to move, how you need to move, does it need to be outside? Um, for me, being outside was a huge part of things too, which is really exciting to see how Hawaii is moving outdoors. You know, I think that's huge for folks.
1: Yeah, what a great uh, point. I mean, we have thought for years that we've got this strong camping proposition, right? Kids can come into day camp or overnight camp or family camp. And or they're on a wilderness space trail for weeks and weeks uh, through the summer. Incredible uh, leadership yeah. progression and development. But in reality, um, what we know is that those services are still limited to the few. Like yeah. we don't have um, we don't have nature finding its way into the neighborhood, right? And yeah. so that's something that we're launching nature in the neighborhood. we're We're expanding those, Uh, cycle health events under the banner of uh, Y Adventure Lab, and then finding ways to, in a concentric way, like, you know, right next door, a couple blocks away, Um, you know, getting engaged, activating a park, activating a public space on behalf of the community, maybe five miles out, they can go to a day camp, 50 miles out, there might be an overnight experience or some deeper immersion. And so, and looking at that programming through an equity-based lens, like yeah that we level this just like you uh, talk about from a heart health perspective how do all of our community members get access in 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 terms of the value that nature brings and we know we have this nature deficit disorder too so Mm -hmm. many people and families who never actually have a chance to embrace and the screens are powerful they're sucking our kids into more and more
0: screens. yeah
1: interesting antidote yeah so how about um coming back to the race uh, dynamics and it's interesting to me, like every company I'm talking to is trying to place investments around their equity and, and inclusion. They're trying to hire more thoughtfully and and really represent the community in their workforces and on and on. But I'm curious if you'd talk more about uh, where do you think we are? Um, you know, there's certainly a dialogue that seems to be holding and persisting. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you see in these tragic events, you know, the, the dialogue spools up for a bit and then it fades and there's yeah. no action at a government level or at a corporate level or a community level so what are you seeing now do you think that we're turning the corner is this a different place that we're in relative to equity
0: yeah i i'm definitely optimistic that it seems to be uh, more of a continual part of the strategy you know i always i think um Having been a part of a lot of these conversations, it's sort of you know does equity live here? Does it live over here? And I feel like companies are starting to realize that it's a vertical and horizontal right that you have to have it throughout your organization strategy and be really thoughtful in where you're investing, who you're investing, how you're hiring. You know all of these different ways. but I think we have a long, a long way to go. Um, and that intern that I was mentioning, she, her master's work, uh, she interviewed all the health system CEOs and compared what their declarations were um, when George Floyd was murdered to what had happened action-wise. Um, she was pretty excited, and I think went in with sort of a, you know, did people just say things? Um, so I think there are pockets of great work going on um and companies that are doing amazing things but you know we have a we have a way to go um and then you know unfortunately um obviously with the recent tragedy in buffalo we know nationally we have a lot to do um you know it's it's sort of good and bad right that minneapolis uh was this focus that way because it i think reminds us that much more but you know, the fact that stuff like that is still happening in 2022 is, it's alarming.
1: Yeah. So to that point, you know, you've got this deep history with the why, you're serving in a board leadership context. What do you look for from me? You know, middle-aged white dude in leadership, right? Uh, what do you want to see from leaders like me? And then also, what are you hoping the why will do in this space?
0: Yeah, well, I've been really impressed with your leadership Glenn it's very clear and i'm not just saying that as a board member, in fact we're probably your hardest critics but. um, That you have been very thoughtful in how you're recruiting all the way through the organization, and I think perhaps most importantly at that senior level um, and making sure that there is room and that there is a robust. Um, opportunity for people who haven't always been in those leadership roles. And that's been very clear. Um, I think that to your point for, you know, middle-aged white guys, that's really Mm -hmm. huge. And I know we um, uh, had an opportunity to do a round table with uh, the CEO of Medtronic and he, you could just tell in his thinking that that's sort of exactly what he's trying to do. He um, was referencing more from a gender perspective of, how many women they have in VP roles at Medtronic, and how proud they are um, of that, and and just that if that if talent ends up leaving because you are really bringing folks in that way, and people look to you as, gosh, you're you're getting them in these great roles, um, and then they're off to do what's next. I think that's great, you know, and I know that that has been sort of how the why has served in a good way that. Um, you've you've let people lead and they've gone on to even larger titles. And I think that's that's really exciting. So I think that's a big piece. And then I think, um, you know, again, to what you're doing strategy wise, thinking about where and how we show up as the YMCA. I think that's huge thinking differently, not always um, brick and mortar, um, but how we have some type of presence programs, opportunities, et cetera, in communities that um, haven't always had as many opportunities, but that's kind of who the why always been. So it's, but I think it's great to see um, an ongoing emphasis and the way that you're listening to the frontline of employees too, because um, right there are the ones who are gonna kind of tell the story of how they feel in the organization, which is huge.
1: Yeah, appreciate that. Well, yeah. um, coming to the end here, and it's been so such a joy for me to spend time with you in this context. And you are such an amazing leader, Courtney. Would you um, would you share? I mean, this, this has been a tough couple of years for yeah. anybody in leadership, anybody in our communities um, through the pandemic, through the racial and social justice challenges. Um, what brings you hope amidst all yeah. of this challenge? Yeah.
0: I, will. I was excited for this question because I feel like I have um, a great answer that happens to be why centric, but only because genuinely it is. But um, I have the opportunity. So I live in Edina, uh, Edina just had some really bad publicity about some videos all the way up nationally that had gone out. Um, and the why, um, Hedy Walls and her team came in to have um, an opportunity for conversation with Edina. And I, I have to be honest that after that, with only one child on Earth, as I like to say, um, I thought about I have lots of opportunities for schools. And is Edina the right place for me based on some of the things I'm hearing? And um, so they we went into this evening, and um, they were hoping for about thirty people. Three hundred showed up, and from start to finish, it was just such an incredible event. And I've been in so many different conversations around equity, you know, at the state level with the Department of Health, tons within the health systems, lots with the Y, but I've never been to one that felt like this. And the biggest thing that left me hopeful was. At the very end, um, there was the opportunity for people to share kind of what um, your table had come up with. And um, totally organically, the youth started to speak. And a sixth grade boy of color um, got up, first one of anybody who happens to be the same age as my son. So I was very impressed at this, <laughs> that mm-hmm. this young guy was speaking um, and basically painted this picture of what an inclusive community looks like, um, and it was so beautiful. And what was fascinating, and you know, basically everybody was crying there, um, was that there weren't any of the isms discussed. You know, there wasn't specifically calling out racism or sexism or whatever. And I think the youth look at it in ways that we've never thought, and they have words that we haven't even thought of. Um, to describe it and and very organically after that a bunch of other uh Edina students spoke up and Mm. I was so proud to to live here and that's not always how I feel recognizing that you know Edina has a lot of resources that North Minneapolis doesn't and um our, our superintendent is a woman of color and I was so proud of the way, um, just knowing that she's at the helm and as a leader, and I was so proud of how the Y led, and it was just such a great opportunity. So I want to be clear, I'm not done with my work and my age, and I'm not kind of leaving it on the shoulders of the next generation at all, but I'm very hopeful that this group is growing up this way. They're not kind of learning it the first time like some of us have been. Um, and so I think, I think that the future's bright. And I, I really, um, I'm optimistic that we're going to turn the page on a lot of what we see.
1: I love that optimism, and I agree. I think our young people are, you know, as they are digitally native, they're also native to a different social equity in our community and I'm seeing that from my children and their pals as well and so we can be hopeful and Courtney you bring me hope too you are a leader for good and I'm so grateful for the time thank you for joining us today
0: thanks so much Glenn thank you for joining us for conversations on where the YMCA of the north engages with local and national leaders helping to inspire you